This podcast is brought to you by Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours. This is Love Notes with Julie and Jonathan. Hi, I'm Julie. And I'm Jonathan, and you are listening to Love Notes, the show where we talk sexy stuff, but where it's still safe for work. So that's nice. <laughs> um, okay. What's up, Julie? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you up to? I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. What, why? So, what you um, well, we had like a foot and a half of snow in the last couple of weeks. And I, I don't think people know this about Colorado, but our snow does not stay on the ground. Like it'll Where snow it and it melts. <laughs> It melts. Uh, oh, I see. It melts see. like within a couple of days all the time. And f- so far we've had a foot and a half of snow on the ground for two and a half weeks because it's been that's, cold. And right? that's, and, you, and you've got, you're out in the middle of where you have to, if you want to shovel your driveway, like you got to shovel your driveway and that's not like a driveway. Like most people have, you've got like a road. No, you can't shovel my driveway. Like right. my neighbor is really cool. So he came over with the snowblower Um, he's actually, he's actually plowed my driveway like four times just in January. Um, but my garbage truck. I have to interrupt really quickly here to, to, to just say that, you know, half of the people listening right now are like, yeah, Betty plowed your driveway. (laughs) God, I I hope they don't listen to this. Sorry. I I, I just had to, you know, somebody thought it. I just had to. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. Sorry about that. Anyway, continue. (laughs) But my garbage man cannot get up the driveway. So we have not had our garbage picked up in three weeks. Three weeks. What are you, do- what are you doing? What are you doing? Like I have four big cans, so we usually don't fill them all, but they're now overflowing. And like the coyotes are going to be camping out in my driveway soon. Oh my so God. like I had to call them today, but there's one trash service out here. One. There are no choices, right? So this, these people are like, no, Sorry. I'm like, it's going to snow on Wednesday and you can't, you're supposed to come on Thursday. And they're like, nope, sorry, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I mean, it that's is. That's what I got today. It is the price you pay for living like the totally placid, quiet life that you live is like you have to depend on the, the vicissitudes of these assholes deciding to show up or not, I guess. Yeah, they were just like, no, sorry, three weeks in a row. We're not going to pick up your trash. That's so. So that amazing. was lovely. Right. What's your weather like? You called me the other day. You said it was raining. That's kind did, of a well, big deal there. Yeah, well, it is right. Like it's L.A. and it's raining, and everyone loses their fucking mind. Uh, and we, I think I told you this. We're we're finally getting solar panels, but they aren't in yet. And yesterday, the power went out because the right. goddamn rain. Because it. <sighs> by the way, like people. Like New York had a hurricane a few years back and 80% of the city maintained power. So the fact that like there was a little bit of a rain shower in LA, there's just no sort of infrastructural provision for what happens, you know, and there's no drainage, there's no whatever. So the power goes out and I was already annoyed, which it would have been annoyed that the power was out for like seven hours anyway. But the fact that I know that in like a month we'll have the solar panels and it would have sidestepped the whole, because we'll have a battery backup. And we would have had like a generator basically just yeah. make it angrier and angrier. And then I started just saying, God, it's so cold. I'm freezing. It's freezing in the house. And I was like, what's the temperature? And Laura was like, it's 58. <laughs> I was like, oh, how, do I, how can well, I live like 58 in your house is cold. In, in your house is cold. 50, Although 58 outside is nice. People, but people listening right now, some of them live in the polar vortex that just went through the country. So like, who the fuck am I to complain? But anyway. I hope it doesn't bring a lot of snow because I will go hunt down that garbage truck. (laughs) I will. That lady does not know who she's dealing with. Uh, Oh, it's a lady. I was going to say if it was some like hot dude. She's the owner. I'm like, Uh, can I talk to somebody else? She's like, I'm the owner. And she told me not to get snippy with her this morning. (laughs) Said, she said, don't get snippy with me. Yeah. I was like, hold on there. Whatever. Roselle or whatever your name is. You, you should write her like, as, a, as a mean garbage lady character into a book. I might have to. I might have to say their name. No, I won't do that. But still. <laughs> um, There's well, only one out here. 
<laughs> yeah, she'll know. Roselle will know who she is. Um, it's interesting. Uh, there, we we have some questions, and I feel like as we're bitching about you know all of these little uh, annoyances in our life, it feels like this first question is an interesting one to ask. Uh, we got a question from someone who is. By the way, thank you all for listening to the podcast, and for for those of you who have tuned in before, thank you for coming back. For those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. We are happy to have you here. Please feel free to go back and listen to the first uh, the first three. Um, if anything about what you're hearing confuses you, we theoretically answer some of those questions earlier on. Uh, but we do take questions, so please go to the website. If you have a question, uh, we will be happy to answer it. The question Michelle asked is, um, what is your next big goal in life, or have you achieved all of them? Okay, you go first. Um, interestingly, my next... You know this. Julie knows this. This experience of writing with Julie has finally for me, the short answer is, yeah, I've actually gratefully achieved most of the things I set out for myself, but you know, there's always going to be a new goal, right? Like I, you and I talk about this a lot. Like we're just not the kind of people I don't think who can be like laurel resting. And so there's always going to be something that I want to do. And through the experience of writing books with you, I am now less afraid of writing a novel, even though I'd written so much you know, screenplays and TV shows are a very different thing. Writing a novel feels intimidating. Uh, a lot of my movie writer friends are like, ah, God, I don't know. I'd love to write a novel, but I'm so scared. And now that I've sort of stripped down that barrier, uh, you know this, my, my next big goal is I'm going to write my like great American novel, like my literary opus, my great Gatsby, my catcher in the rye, whatever. It's, I mean, however, long it takes the next two years, five years, 10 years. I don't know. Uh, that's going to be my next big sort of life goal. That feels like a life's work. And, um, and I don't think I'd be able to do it if you and I hadn't done this. So it's directly related. Well, that's awesome. I think that's yeah. great. I think you're going to write a great novel. I hope so. I hope so. What about you? Um, I mean, I don't know that I, I, I think I have far surpassed any goal I ever had for myself. Um, so I'm quite happy with that, but I'm always doing something new. So this year I'm, this year I'm working on a pen name and I haven't really announced that yet, but I am working on a pen name. So I'm going to be saying more about that in a couple of months. Uh, it's yeah. very exciting. It is very exciting. I think it's very exciting. It's super cool. Now, and you're going to kind of, you're creating the pen name, not, to for mystery and anonymity, but just so that you can write in a different genre and that when they see that name, they'll know that it's one of those kinds of books, right? Yep. Yep. That's right. why. Yeah. As opposed to like pr hiding it and keeping it secret. Cause you'll announce that it's you writing as the new, yep. as the new pen. Okay. Got it. Yep. Well, that, uh, that is exciting. And I mean, I kind of know what it is, but I'm excited for everybody to find out in the meantime, though, uh, we have to give a shout out to, uh, our current sponsor, friend and ally who helps us do this podcast, uh, Oh My Audiobooks. And uh, the book that we would like to tell you about coming up soon from Oh My Audiobooks is by one J.A. Huss, which keep it who? between us. Yeah, I know. That's the end <laughs> name for Julie. Shh, you guys, be quiet. Uh, if you haven't already read it, uh, even if you have already read it, take a listen to the audio. It is The Dirty One. Produced by Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours. It is a brand spanking new standalone romance about the secret world of erotica authors, which is us. And so, <laughs> if you ever wondered, like, what goes on in their minds, Julie spills the beans. Um, the Dirty <laughs> Ones will be coming to you in audio on February the 19th. That will be February the 19th, just a couple weeks. So sign up today on Audible to get your free 30-day trial if you don't already have a subscription. And let's get dirty. Did you like the way I said dirty? I do. That was really, really oh, good. Oh, and, and just this week, just on Tuesday of this week, uh, our latest shared audiobook experience released, uh, Pierced, is out Pierced. now. So, so that one I will... I will not go into as much detail about, although I hear the male narrator is very, very good. He, he always is. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick and a prima donna, but... Uh. <laughs>
so talented. Um, all right. Before we jump into today's conversation with Jennifer Armantrout, we just have time for one more question. Um, let me see here. Let me find a good one. All right. This one is from Tasha. And Tasha's question is, oh, that's perfect because we are still, uh, for those of you who don't know, we are still in the process of working on developing uh, one of Julie's book series into a TV show. And then we're actually also developing a second TV show with that same studio. So we are in the midst of this question right now. If any one of your books were to get made into a film or a TV show, would you let them cut down the sexy scenes? I mean, for me, yeah, I just let them do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> Uh, it's really funny because we talked about this a little with Christy Bromberg when we had her on and we talked about the things that she, uh, that she was precious about or that she was willing to let go. And a lot of, for her, a lot of the response was, well, I would let them change anything they wanted, I guess, except for stuff that the fans or the readers would lose their shit over because the, the readers knew the book so well that the things that they cared about a lot, she was pretty pretty had a pretty tight grasp on you've been really interesting through this whole process because every time i've said can we change this or how do you feel about this or whatever you've basically just had two hard and fast rules don't change the relationships and you know like don't set it on the moon or some shit like the, like don't change the world but don't change the I world i would let you set it world. on the moon though i just you always say that and I always think to myself, can we please set it on the moon? Because that would be cool. I know. That is your dream is to do some <laughs> shit on the moon. So I get that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, basically, just don't change the fundamental rules of the world. It's been your one rule. But apart from that, your your attitude is, can you say it? Because I think it's so cool the way you have talked about why you're cool with things being shifted. Well, I don't remember why. I just know that it's, um, I mean, because I just want... TV and writing is different, right? So I, they know what they're doing and I really do not. So most of the time, I think they're going to make the right decision. <laughs> well, that's, that's, what I, that's what I think about you, Jonathan. I always think, well, generous. you know, uh, well, because well, I think if you thought it was going to be bad, you would say something like, I don't know if we should do this. Well, that's for sure. But, that's for sure. The, the cool thing that you've said that I'm referring to is you have said a couple of times, I already wrote the books. I oh, told yeah. that story. And as you've said, because there's so much story in your head that you never get to tell with every book you write, because you have these big worlds that you're like, it's actually, you basically said, like, I kind of look forward to telling the parts of the story that I couldn't tell in the book. Yeah. Yep. That's true. I, I, I wish we could tell all the deleted scenes in my head. <laughs> uh, we would all go to jail. Um <laughs> So on that note, uh, this week, uh, we are letting you listen to the conversation we had with Jennifer L. Armantrout. And this was, this was, I'll let you talk a little about this because you are, you're not easily impressed by people and, and whatever and things. And, and Jennifer L. Armantrout, I know, is somebody that you revere, you look up to, you admire. You was really, this was a big deal for you to have this conversation with her. Yeah, I love her. I just love her because she was one of the very first authors that I noticed when I first started writing back in 2012. It was so it was even before I was writing romance. And so um, I kind of just latched onto her as a reader first. So I'm really excited because we're going to see her at uh, Polycon really soon. And then she came on and did this interview. So I was I was just super excited about it. And she's really smart and really cool. And also this interview uh, or this conversation that you hear in a minute um, gets a little personal. And uh, she talks very openly about some really, some really heavy stuff. And so it was, it was very cool of her to come on. We're so appreciative. And uh, on that note, we will let you have a listen to our chat with Jennifer L. Armandrout. Enjoy. Okay, so today we are hanging out uh, with the great Jennifer Armantrout, number one New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. Um, she also publishes under the pseudonym Jay Lynn uh, and has such books as Wait For You and the young adult books Lux and Covenant, uh, as well as many, many others. Uh, and she can talk about that a little bit herself. Um, so let's jump right into chatting with Jennifer Armantrout. Jennifer, hi. Hi, guys. 
both Jonathan and I are going to a polycon, so you kind of know about us. But I'm not sure if you know, like, the whole story or, like, who Jonathan is or anything like that. Or you're probably thinking, who is this guy? Right. Well, I, I know he's your co-author. <laughs> so. Well, uh, that's it. It, this, it. it is interesting, right? Because uh, Julie sent me an email saying like, hey, we've been invited to speak on this panel at a Polycon. Uh, and I was like, that is very forward thinking because I think we had only just released our first book or something, or maybe not even. And Maybe I was, and I was really like, uh, so you're kind of the first person to, you're basically our, our hello to the world. So thank you for that. <laughs> Glad to be the person. <laughs> so Jonathan, like he, uh, he was my narrator for a couple of books. And then we started writing a teleplay together for my books. And then we sold um, I sold some options. So that's our whole story. That's our story. Yeah. I mean, in, in a year and a half, we, w I went from like, you know, just working in television to, <laughs> to writing seven romance novels with Julie. And, uh, and so, <laughs> so I guess in, in the spirit of the panel that you're, you're having us on, uh, which is dynamic duos. I mean, that is pretty fucking dynamic. So I guess that yeah, it is. So, you know, that's more than a lot of duos have written in years. I, feel like. I know. Uh, Julie just sort of drags me along. But, um, <laughs> but so that's sort of our origin story. Um, what is, what is yours, if you don't mind sharing with everybody? Like, how did you start writing? Where did, what is your background? How'd that happen? Well, I've always, as cliche as it sounds, I've always wanted to be a writer since I was young. It started when I was reading um, L.J. Smith's, uh, the, she wrote The Vampire Diaries back in the 90s and The Secret Circle and The Forbidden Game. It was sure. She was one of the few YA authors that were around outside of R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike back then. Um, her book, The Forbidden Game, was the first that made me like cry hysterically at the end end of the series. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I want to do this to other people. <laughs> I want to traumatize them. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I started writing my first book in high school. I, I wrote it in algebra class. <laughs> so I ended up having to take remedial math in college. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't recommend that, um, for most people, but I, I always wanted to be a writer. However, I went to college for, um, psychology and sociology with a criminal justice track. I wanted to work in um, behavioral science, which is profiling at the FBI who work with serial killers, oh, yeah. mass murderers, that kind of stuff. And um, But unfortunately, I it, it didn't work out for me because of my vision issues. So I worked in the mental health field for a while. And it wasn't until about 2007 that I started writing again. And it kind of, you know, I just picked it up and it's like, you know, I... I, I've could, I cannot remember. I was waiting for a book to come out. And to this day, I cannot remember what book it was. And I couldn't, I couldn't find anything that I wanted to read. And, you know, and you, it's crazy when you think about how much has changed in 10 years, like 2006, yeah. 2007, there wasn't a, a ton of eBooks that you could just go, you know what I mean? Like you sure. can find something now back then. It's like, you had to go to the store. Um, you had to know what author to look for online. So I was kind of like, you know, what? I'm going to start writing again. And I always been fascinated with Greek mythology because I always kind of felt like that was like the Jerry Springer of mythology because <laughs> it's always like <laughs> a hot mess. So I started <laughs> writing um, Half-Blood and that's the first book in the Covenant series. And I think it took me probably a year and a half to write the first book. And then I, I started looking at how to quarry agents. And the first agent I quarried was Stephanie Meyer's agent at <laughs> Jody Reamer at Writer's House because, you know, go, go big or go home. Um, and of course, I got a form rejection immediately because <laughs> I, I did everything wrong. Because, you know, I did, I think what a lot of authors starting out does is you really don't research the industry. And and that's why whenever I give talks, I'm always like, you need to know your business. You need to know the ins and outs of it because yep. a lot of people fail before they get started because they didn't do the, the bare basic research, um, which I didn't either. So I found this website called Quarry Tracker and they helped polish your first 10 pages, your quarry. Yeah. Like yeah. So I went on submission for an agent. 
Um, and I had was given the best advice from someone um, that said, you know, when you're acquiring one book or on submission with a book, start writing something completely unrelated in case your first book doesn't get an agent or doesn't sell. So I started working on either, I think it was Cursed or Unchained at that time. And this was back in probably 2009. So it took about two years or so for me to work up the courage to actually go out in submission because then it becomes real, right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, and the sure. funniest thing is, is your first couple rejections are amazing because you're like, I'm really doing this. People are reading it. <laughs> yeah. Then you get to like the 50th rejection. You're like, this sucks. Um, but so I, um, I ended up sh- sh- basically shelving Half-Blood because a lot of the, um, a lot of the feedback I was getting from agents was they wanted me to age it up into adult. And I really didn't see that series as being an adult series. So I started working on Cursed, but I had saw this this contest by this new publisher called Spencer Hill Press. And I submitted the quarry for Half-Blood and it, no, I submitted the quarry for Cursed. It didn't win, but the editor reached out and asked if I had anything else so I just said, you know, what the hell? Why not? I sent them the query in the first 10 pages of Half-Blood. And she ended up requesting the full manuscript. And a day later, I think it was, she made an offer. Um, it was, it, you wow. know, yeah, it was a brand new publisher. And this was back in 2010. Which Who was in, it? It's Spencer Hill Press. Kate. Okay. Kate, yeah. Um, she no longer owns the company, but she started the publisher. Um, she started the company back then. And back in 2010, small presses were not a thing, really, um, just as self-publishing wasn't considered a reputable method of publishing. And again, it's crazy how quickly that changed. But it really, in 2010, 2011, especially in YA, you were sort of looked down on um, from the traditional world if you were with a small press or you were self-publishing. You weren't seen as a real author, in quotation marks. But I really didn't know that I was just happy that someone wanted to read my book, you know what I mean? And somebody right. wanted to publish yeah. it. So I took a risk on them and they took a risk on me. And if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't um, published with them back then, my first book came out in 2011, I wouldn't be sitting here right now on the phone with you guys. Um, but it, that was my my first book um, that I that was published. But also, I probably racked up about 140-some rejections before I landed my agent, who had also rejected me on a previous book. She forgets that she did that, but I have all my rejections. <laughs> I saved all my rejections in my email, and I like to periodically send her that rejection <laughs> <laughs> as a reminder. Because um, she swore at first she didn't reject me. I was like, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> you rejected me. So that's that's how I got started. Wow. That is a tangled web right uh-huh. there. Yes. So you know what's funny about that is that if you had – and I'm glad you started when you did, but if you had waited five more years, right? Yeah. It would have been a completely different story. Probably. Yeah. A completely different landscape. I'm a huge YA reader. Like I almost, I almost don't read anything else. Like every week I scour that new release list for the next sci-fi YA. I, I'm not too into the fantasy, but I really like the sci-fi, which brings me to your luck series because I was writing in 2012, I was writing my first new adult science fiction and I picked up your book, your first book, Obsidian, yes. I think it is. Yeah. And man, I fell in love with you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what the hell is this? Aliens? <laughs> it was amazing. You know what was amazing about it was you tied the book world into that book. Yeah. Like, cause she was a book blogger and I just, that's how I became a book blogger. It was uh-huh. you, it was you and your book <laughs> could be because while I was writing science fiction, I was running a romance book blog. And that is the reason I did it because of that book. That is awesome to hear. I've, I have heard that from a lot of bloggers that they started blogging after um, reading the Lux series. And, and that's just kind of amazing. Cause you know, they're just things that you don't think about when you write a book that is going to have an influence on people. But um, you know, th- making Kat a blogger was just really weird. Yeah. Serendipity happenstance. Cause I, you know, it just kind of flowed into that. 
Um, but also it was a way of thanking the bloggers for being supportive. I could tell that because you know what I thought? I still remember thinking this when I read that first, you know, the whole section about the blogging. Because, you know, he's like, let me tease you. Yeah. There's this like little part in there like you guys call that a teaser, yeah. right? And I was like, man, she knows what she's talking about because I had no clue. I, I never even read a romance book before 2000. 12 mm -hmm. like never so i was like just like just jennifer man she knows what she's doing how did you guys meet just online really facebook yeah just online but i think we've been to several events together, yeah but we, we we don't really hang out well it's like you know i feel like with a lot of events it's like your ships crossing one another yeah like i can't tell you how many authors i have seen multiple times at signings and we're always like oh hey and then you know so much is going on and then you're kind of like i feel like i know this person but i've never really talked to them in real life or outside of a you know a book setting right but also julia and i lurk in some of the same groups oh you're 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 also a lurker yes we're a lurker <laughs> we're both lurkers <laughs> well to which end Speaking of uh, events and so forth, how did you come up with the idea to do a polycon? Like, where did that come from and how did that happen? Well, with a polycon, um, it actually started uh, with the this the Titan series, which was a spinoff of the Covenant series. Uh, Damaris, who was doing a virtual signing for me or had done virtual signings for me in the past, had was like, hey, why don't you do a book signing to celebrate the release? And I was like, well, I don't want to do a book signing by myself because they suck and there's like <laughs> nothing worse than going to a bookstore by yourself. I feel like yeah, you just totally. never know, like it doesn't matter who you are, you know, how much success you have or haven't had. You're always going to have a book signing where you're just sitting there with like your thumb up your ass. You're just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> this, is, yeah, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, let me invite some of my author friends, like people I've met, you know, through other events and communicate with. So that's how Polycon got started. It was a one-day event with um, authors that I had, you know, done multiple events with or, you know, worked with or just, you know, were friends with. And um, it was a one-day event. It was a signing and then an after party later that night. And it kind of just took off from there at that point. And, and I think the reason why a Polycon took off like it did is because it's still really one of the few events, you know, with the exception of RT at that time that has adult, new adult, and adult, and traditional indie and small press authors. It's mm. really hard to find that mix at any event you really go to outside of something like RT Book Convention, which is such a much larger, you know, grand scale of a conference. And I think that's why it took off is because I feel like events sometimes, and even still this day, they kind of don't acknowledge the crossover between YA and adult. A lot of adults read YA and a lot of teens yeah. read adult. And so they're kind of missing that crossover. And I think that's where a polycon kind of filled that niche where it was like this niche where it was like, you can get, um, but also it's like, I, I don't charge, you know, and you guys know this, I don't charge table fees for authors. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is a lot of stress. If I if I don't sell tickets, I'm paying for that. So so there's a lot of stress there. But right. I just wanted to make an event that any author can afford to attend, no matter where they're at in their career. Um, you know, also at the same time, you know, trying to bring in big name authors, but also you know, giving lesser known authors a chance to be on panels or to be signing next to bigger names and things like that. Um, so it's, it's always been a very good mix. I feel like. Well, you know, I mean, that was something that Julie and I talked about, or I talked about a lot. I mean, Julie's been on panels and she's done this stuff, but to you know, and in my, in my, you know, my native industry, I've done a lot of that stuff, but to be invited into one, I was really sort of struck by that. And Julie was like, yeah, she's, you know, she, she's good about cross pollinating. Right. And so, the the you know the panel I think that we're on um, we're on with the Richie sisters who I only know because mm -hmm. I've actually narrated a book of theirs <laughs> for them so I'll get to meet them in person and then Christina Lauren uh, who's obviously a very well established um, writing duo and and so I think that is so smart because what you've done at least you know for us as a living example is put in front of the attendees people at various stages of development in their partnership and their careers and so forth. And that is, I think, 
hugely informative as opposed to just sitting and listening to, you know, a bunch of jaded authors pontificate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> because some of us, who've, you know, who've been around for a while, depending on the mood you catch us in <laughs> on a panel, it can be a really uplifting panel or it could be like bitter, bitter sins like on the panel. Totally. Uh, totally. But no, and I, and I think it's because, you know, all of us started out first off as readers all of us start, hopefully did, all of us started out as debut authors that no one has heard of. And, right. and I think also too, just because I haven't read a book or I am not aware of a certain author doesn't mean that that author is not popular. And I think that's, you know, that's why one thing we always like pull our, you know, in our reader group who people are like, to see. Um, also, I'm lucky that my organizers, Stephanie Brown and Hannah McBride, are very well read across multiple genres. You know, they just don't read romance. They just don't read YA. You know, they read thriller, suspense, historical, so mm. on and so forth. And so we're able to pull together a very, you know, interesting group of different genres to represent. Well, speaking of multiple genres, how, at what point did you decide that you wanted to create a pen name and write under a different genre than YA? So I, after I sold the Covenant series to Spencer Hill Press um, in 2010, in 2000, around that time, I had written Unchained, which is an adult urban fantasy. Um, I went out in submission um, and Entangled made an offer for Unchained. So that was the first book I sold to Entangled. Um, during that, that period of time, the editor there, the owner, Liz, um, she kind of made a joke where she was like, you know, I, since you can write books so fast. And at that time I was writing books crazy fast. Um, she was like, have you ever thought about writing about aliens in high school? And I had laughed and was like, that is literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, I mean, and I got off the phone was like, I don't know what she's talking about. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, you know what? There isn't a lot of aliens in high school books. I mean, at that time there really was only like, I am number four. And, you sure. know, and that wasn't really a romance. So I called her back and I was like, what, what do you mean aliens in high school? And she was like, I just want a romance of aliens in high school. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I can't, I can't really write hardcore science fiction. I'm not that smart. <laughs> so this is going to be like what I call sci-fi light. <laughs> um, and she was fine. And she was just like, you know, I just want it to be a romance. And I want it to, you know, she, she had a couple other things she, she would like to see in it. Um, so I started writing the book and literally, I mean, I ended up writing that book insanely in seven days. I wrote the first draft of a city yeah, in seven days. I had to rewrite. Wait, 50% wait, wait, wait. Of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It sounded like you said you wrote it in seven days. I wrote it in seven days. Yes. Oh, so I heard you write. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, and this is where, this is where the timeline gets really messy is because she, yes, she approached me. And I think in the summer of 2011 to write this book, um, aliens in high school, that was my direction. I was given and I kind of sat down and I was like, okay, I can do this, you know, and I, I, I created, um, cat first and then I introduced Damon and, you know, in my head, but I, I, so I wrote it in seven days and then I had to rewrite like 50% of it because I wrote it in seven days. <laughs> I had to rewrite right. so much. And her editorial note to me was the most hilarious phone call ever. Cause she said to me, I'll never forget this. She was like, I just have like really minor suggestions, nothing, ma nothing major. And then she was like, I think Dawson should be dead in this book. Cause in the original book, <laughs> Dawson was alive. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, that's not, that's, like, that's not that a minor, major. that's major. Yeah. Oh my God. But I, but it ended up being for the best because it changed like Damon's motivations and yeah, all that good stuff. But, um, but so we, you know, I didn't expect, um, I mean, honest to God, like when I wrote Obsidian, I wrote probably 60% of that without having any idea what the Luxon looked like in real life. And I kept picturing in my head the insects from Independence Day. Um, like, you know, like the, the giant, yeah. yes, which is not sexy whatsoever. So I ended up, I ended up, um, 
for some reason was randomly inspired by the movie Cocoon, uh, which is an old, old movie. And, yes. by, the way, yes. by the way, I just want to point out that you're, that you're blending, that you're like, okay, how can I make this as sexy as po- bugs and old people? The old that people, says right? hot. Yeah, it does. The, the inner workings of a author, <laughs> like mine. Oh, so, so hot. But you remember in Cocoon, there were these pods that were glowing in yep. a pool. And sure. I don't remember anything else really besides that either. <laughs> like but then i was like oh what if my aliens glow and then somehow i ended up with them being made of like light and particles i don't even understand it so i got to that point but um oh, yeah, yes <laughs> and i'm always like i'm like don't question my science because it is not trying to hold up <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> underneath my scope um but the also hilarious part about that is i had no, so when i came up with what obsidian does, how it like retracts and reflects lights. And the same thing Onyx does where it kind of like scatters the particles of light. I had no idea that those gemstones did that in real life whatsoever. And no, no idea. Yeah. And so my, so Liz was like, Oh, she left a comment. My thing. She was like, this is really clever that, you know, you must've did some research on gemstones. And I was like, Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Okay. Can I stop you here? Because (laughs) I am a scientist. Yeah, like so- I legitimately have a master's degree in science and I read your book and I was so impressed with your clever uh, idea. I just about ruined it these, for you. <laughs> no. And you know what else I was impressed with? Cause it was like hidden in the hills of West Virginia, right? Yeah. Like that's why they were in this area. I just thought it was clever. So, so when we, so when I finished writing Obsidian, I honestly, you know, we didn't think anybody was really going to, you know, really read this book. Um, but the book just kind of took off. And because of that, like my other YA books were starting to take off. And I also had gotten an agent. Um, and so I was, so we decided that I was like, I need a pen name. Um, so that we can separate the YA from adult. And that's where the Jalen came from. Um, but, you know, readers, I mean, they're like little detectives. They like figured that stuff out. I mean, honest to God, sure. my first book in underneath Jalen ended up, ended up being Tempting the Best Man, which I think came out in the spring of 2012. And within days of that book publishing, they realized it was me writing. <laughs> how, did they, how do you think they did they was it was it like the voice it was or the was voice it what do you think? and you know my um bio was vague but i guess there was enough in my bio that they could put it together um but it, i guess it was the voice because and at that point we were just like well there's no point in hiding it so it's <laughs> like it's you know they used to do jennifer l armatrout writing as jaylen um, on the covers, but interestingly enough, overseas and some of the countries over there, they keep my titles very separate. So there are my Jay Lynn books and my Jennifer Armitrop books. And there are a lot of people in the foreign countries that do not realize I'm the same person still. Wow. That's incredible that the whole story. And like I said, that, that Lux series was a big deal for me because it was like my first introduction in the book blogging world into romance and the paranormal stuff. And um, I just was really impressed with you. Really oh, impressed you. with you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the, the sort of the pen name of it all. And that does it, I, it, Julie and I debate about this occasionally too, because we've started, uh, we started writing in multiple genres and, we, but we've retained our individual names mm-hmm. and, um, and, and sort of seeing what impact that has. And then if you track it back even further, when we first started this, when Julie said to me after, after I had, we had written the, the, the pilot script for the TV show together. And she was like, I really enjoyed this process. Do you want to write books with me? And I said, sure. And she said, yeah, I have a caveat. You have to write under your own name. And I was like, why? And she said, well, because you're a real man. I was like, say again. And she was like, as opposed to someone thinking that I've made, you know, you, she's like, you have a Wikipedia page, right? She's like, someone could go out there on the internet and find you and be like, oh, I've seen him on such and such TV show or whatever. Oh, that's a real person. Oh, she's not just bullshitting me. And I thought that was, uh, like a really interesting thing to take into consideration, but now I understand the value of it. And so I guess I, I wonder too, 
is it do you think it's more less valuable or totally a break even for people to know who you are do you think that the fact that uh, the foreign market doesn't necessarily have that distinction impacts sales in a way that knowing who you are i mean do you know what i'm asking yeah i mean i i think i think it can impact if you have built a name and readership up in one genre. So, but I think right. it's a catch 22. I think a lot of people, they think they already know what you write and know what you're capable of or not capable of. So they'd be less willing to take a risk. Let's say if they didn't like your stuff or if the stuff sure. wasn't just your cup of tea, then having, I mean, right. I, I, and I, you know, and I, and I'm sure you guys can probably feel this way. Um, I know I have many of times been like, I just want to, come up with a pen name and not claim it and just write whatever I want to write underneath that name <laughs> and yeah, not care. Yeah, yeah. Like what people think or, but also the expectations not there. Um, but also what people already think they know of you. And, and cause sometimes you readers get burned out on you, especially if you have a lot of books, it's just, you know, it, it, there's so many more authors now. So sometimes I think having a pen name that nobody knows is you is sometimes beneficial. But again, it's like you're starting in a market All over that again. is yeah. saturated to the max, you know? And so it's, you know, it's, it, it's not like it was during the time of wait for you where you could publish a book and then that thing take off overnight. It's, it's not like that anymore. And so it's whether or not, you know, it's, I feel, I feel like it's a cash 22. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, cause I had, I, I wrote the science fiction first and then I transitioned into new adult cause that was coming up in 2013 and I didn't change my name because I felt like my science fiction was also new adult, just wasn't really romance. Um, and then it was too late. You know what I mean? Like, you get to a point where it's it's too late. And like you said, you have to start all over again. And the thought of trying to get discovered as a nobody in this market oh, is terrifying. terrifying. Speaking, speaking of things that are hard, um, you mentioned earlier uh, that you, you have – do you mind talking a little about the thing with your eyesight, with your vision? Oh, no, I don't mind at all. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that are um, – you know, it's kind of hard to explain to people because what, and the, and the reason why I don't mind talking about it is because I do think it's very educational because I find that to most people, when you're dealing with vision, there's only the blind and then there's the seeing. And if you have any problems in between, like people think what I have is equivalent to needing glasses, um, where it's not remotely the same thing. So I think it's very educational for people to learn because the type of eye disease that I have isn't the only type. Um, but also it's good for people who have like, I forget what they call them, like um, little invisible disabilities, where if you look at that person, you don't necessarily see that they're struggling with sure. something. Um, sure. And, you know, and I think it goes, but um, I've always had bad eyesight. Um, I've always worn glasses my entire life. Um, but the craziest thing is I never allowed any eye doctor to dilate my eyes because I cannot stand anything to touch my eyes. I, I can't even, I couldn't even put eye drops in back then. So one day, and it was, um, probably, I think it was, um, oh gosh, it was probably 2013, 2014. I decided as a new year's resolution that I needed to go get new glasses. Cause I hadn't gotten my prescription updated in a while. And I made an appointment at like the local eye place and I went and they were like, can we dilate your eyes? And I was like, sure, why not? I must've been in a good mood. And I, and I was, I was curious cause I've never let them do this before. So I was like, Oh, what's going to happen. And the moment that the eye doctor saw my eyes, I mean, he sat back and he was like, you know, there's, and he started asking these questions like, you know, do, does anybody in your family have macular degeneration? And that's basically what happens when you get older. 
your, you know, your, your right. eyes start to break down. Um, and it can happen when you're younger, you can get early onset of that. There's also types that are caused by like diabetes and other health issues. And my dad had macular degeneration. So, um, but he was like, you know, has anybody in your family been blind or lost their vision? And I'm like, no, not that I know of. And he was like, well, there's something wrong with your retinas. And he, I mean, he just immediately saw it. And so he referred me to a retina specialist. Um, and I thought, you know, that they were going to tell me it was macular degeneration, which really isn't that, not that it's not a big deal, but you know, they, there's ways to treat that. Um, yeah, sure. yeah. And it's usually pretty slow progressing and you know, it is what it is. So I went through all these tests and the, and they were terrible <laughs> They were because when you have the disease, you're very sensitive to light and keep in mind, I had all of the symptoms, but two things were happening. I just thought it was normal when you had bad eyes for these things to be happening. And also my brain was already compensating for my loss of vision. And I wasn't right. realizing that I could not see certain things. My brain was filling in the blanks for me, which is wow, crazy. I mean, it's just it, what the brain can do for you. Like, you know what I mean? Without, it's basically tricks you into thinking your vision's fine. Um, yeah. wow. But um, I, they did this one test where they run this iodine solution uh, through your eyes and it only stays in your eyes for like 10 seconds or so. And when they do the picture, it turns your vision different colors. So your vision turns green, blue, and then red. And then after, when it turned red, like everything was red to me. And I remember saying to the eye doctor that this must be what vampires feel like with bloodlust. And then he just looked at me <laughs> like there is something wrong with me. <laughs> no, that makes all the sense <laughs> like, to me in the world. Know, like, I was like, on. what? Like, yeah, bloodlust. But, um, but yeah, so they do these tests and they sit me in this room and the doctor comes in and he's like, you don't have macular degeneration. You have retinitis pigmentosa. Um, they call it RP for sure. And I was like, okay, I can't even begin to pronounce that correctly most days or spell it. And he begins to explain it is the, the breakdown of the retina cells. And your retina is what actually distinguishes light for you. So it's what helps you see yeah. light and darkness and all, all that good stuff. And basically what's happening is those cells are dying off. Like every time your eyes basically shut down when you sleep, when you wake up, more cells have died. And that's how they end up, will end up doing the progression of your disease is they will check that. Um, so he's explaining this to me, but also because of this, you, you do get some other random eye issues. And I had edemas in my eyes, which were pushing the pupils out. Um, I didn't feel it. He was very shocked that I wasn't having eye pain. Um, mm. And that was his biggest concern at first, because eventually it will cause the, the retina to detach. And at that point, you literally have like an hour to get to somebody who knows how to reattach your retina, you know, for Jesus them to do that. Yeah. So they were really focused on getting the swelling down which they started doing that with steroid eye drops. So I had to get over <laughs> eye drops pretty quickly. I also had to get over people touching my eyes pretty quickly, but yeah. so he's sitting there and I'm not really, I mean, he's telling me and I'm like, okay, so what do we do? And he's like, there's nothing we can do. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's nothing you can do. And he ex goes on to explain that this is a degenerate eye disease um, that ends in, you know, sometimes 10% vision or no vision left at all. So basically there's two types that you can get. One is lattice vision where it looks like you're looking through a piece of lattice. And then the other right. is the restriction to tunnel vision. And the kind I have is the restriction of tunnel vision. So yeah, I really, you know, so, so, and you know, the thing is, is he, I remember him, he kept repeating it kind of, cause I could tell he knew that I wasn't getting it. <laughs> And because I probably wasn't having the reaction that he thought I would yeah. have to be told that you're right. going to go blind and we right. don't know when this is going to happen. Um, but right now we need to worry about this because you could lose your vision tomorrow if your retinas detach. And I mean, how do you react to that? You know, looking back, I mean, how, you don't, you just kind of go home and 
you know, it's such a crazy small world because my agent's husband's really good friend is apparently one of the renowned retina specialists in the world. So yeah, so, so he got involved and because, you know, because most people are diagnosed with this at childhood, but because I never allowed my doctors to dilate my eyes and never saw it. Also, most people at my age are completely blind or they have such restricted vision left that it is, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly hard for them to be, you know, independent in the sense of being able to go to and to and fro and stuff like that. Um, so mine was a really rare case in a rare group of diseases. Um, so I ended up being referred to John Hopkins, um, university mm-hmm. hospital at, and then within them is the Wilmer Eye Institute which they're like one of, you know, the leading research hospitals. And so I'm lucky to be seen by them. Um, they, they were able to get the swelling down, which was really good because if the steroid eye drops didn't work, <laughs> they were going to use injections. And I don't know if you've Ugh. ever seen the needles that they yeah. inject into people's eyes. First off, those I, needles, I have, yeah, yeah, they look like they would go through your brain. <laughs> like they're so big. Yeah. And yeah. I was terrified of it. And the eye doctor, he was hilarious. Dr. Carter, he was just like, cause I was like, are you going to give me something to sedate me? And he's like, no. And I'm like, uh, you're going to need to, because I'm not going to sit there and let you stick a needle in my eye. And <laughs> he's like, you won't even see me coming. I'll come from behind. I'm like, I get, <laughs> and I'm like, I got up that morning, got into a car, was driven here. I know what's happening. Your thought process here is not, this is not helping me. And he was like, well, let you watch. You're basically it. threatening. You're basically yeah. threatening to assault me. Yeah. I'm like, that's gonna make I'm me not, feel this is not going to happen. So luckily the steroid eye drops finally started to work. But then the bad thing about the steroid eye drops is they cause cataracts. So now that the swelling is down in my eyes, I now have cataracts in both my eyes, which to me is more inconveniencing than the RP because I've sort of like adjusted to that. Um, but the cataracts are annoying. I mean, they, um, like I see two moons at night, like, so it's, which is kind of Mm -hmm. like living in star Wars or something. Um, but it, it blurs and doubles my vision. Um, you don't realize how many things are not vision impaired friendly (laughs) until you really can't see something. Um, but crowds are pretty bad because I can't see people coming at me from the sides. So I have to be very conscious on sidewalks, um, at intersections because I cannot, I can only see what's directly in front of me and nothing at the sides. So you, you know, I, I will walk into walls quite frequently. So if you ever pay attention to me at events, you probably will see me walking into tables. Um, because that's what I hear from a lot of people. They're always so shocked when they realize how much I cannot see. And mainly is I, it's not that I hide it on purpose. I kind of, I guess I just naturally compensate for it. But if you yeah. really were paying attention, you would see me walking into a ton of shit on a regular basis. <laughs> then you're just kind of like, is she high or is she having problems seeing something? So how does that affect your writing process? Like, do you dictate a lot now? I've started to learn dictation. Um, that's something that the guys at the Wilmer Institute, you know, want me focusing on because it's much easier to dictate when you still have your vision left to learn it than doing it after your vision is compromised. Um, the, the bad thing is it's like, I feel like I need to not be on deadline and I need to be working on a book that doesn't have yeah. to be due because dictation is hard. Like for it yeah, to learn your voice, your, ugh, like, I just, I feel like it would mess with my creativity. So I need time. Um, but I can't work as long as I used to be able to on computers. Um, I like the, it, by the end of the night, like the glare from the the screen is just so intense to me. And like, no matter what I do, doesn't seem to combat that. So it has affected the length of time that I can write. Um, You know, and you know, I think, I think it affected it in a weird way in the beginning. And I think that's why I was writing so many books Um, a year. I was writing, you know, because I was like, I'm, you know, I, I I think I was like, one day I'm not going to be able to do this. So I need to get this all out wow. now. And I think it had a weird <laughs> effect in the beginning versus now. And, you know, the cheesiest thing is, and um, 
I actually wrote this in a book that's coming out in June. It's Storm and Fury. The main character has the same eye disease that I have. And the, she, her doctors tell her something that the doctors at John Hopkins had told me. And this kind of was like a wake up moment for me because, and I think as you guys, you know, being authors, being in this industry on different levels, you know that we can get so caught up in our work that days and weeks go by and you haven't really left the house or you haven't, you know what I mean? You've, you're like, when did I shower last? You know, like, and then if you're like me, every time I leave a house, I go to someplace like Walmart and then I'm like, Oh God, this was a bad life choice. Like there's too many people. Uh, like, what am I doing? And you know, you get so caught up that you're working seven days a week. You're working on holidays, birthdays, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're constantly, yes. Oh yeah. And you realize sure. that like you've achieved these successes, but you've never stopped to enjoy every single, any, any of them. You kept shooting for what's next, what's next, what's coming next. And it wasn't until I was at John Hopkins, I think it was my first appointment with them where the doctor asked me, and again, this sounds completely cheesy, but he asked me, can I still see the stars at night? And I looked at him Hmm. and I could not answer the question because I couldn't remember the last time I stopped and looked up at the sky to see, you know, to even look at the sky, to look at stars. And it was, you know, and I, and I couldn't answer the question. And I, I was like, I think so. And he, and then he explained, he was just like, well, you know, when you can't see them anymore, that's when we know we're hitting that turning point where you can no longer distinguish the, you know, the certain amount of light with darkness. And I, I went home and it kind of struck me that did I want to be where I got to the point that I wouldn't even know the last time I saw a star because I wasn't even stopping the seconds to look at the sky. And so that kind of became a wake up call that I needed to slow down. Like I needed to, you know, have a bit of a life outside of everything publishing related, which I think when you work at from home, um, that can trap you in any job, right? No matter what your career is, you yeah. you can't you don't set hours. And um, I'm still working to getting better at that. <laughs> but uh, but it was kind of a wake up call that I needed to slow down and I needed to make sure that I wasn't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, realize, you know, I don't, I didn't want to get to a point where. I didn't even realize that I would not be able to see something again because I never took the time to look at it. And, you know, it's kind of like the whole stop and smell the roses kind of thing. I think um, this, this is a great topic and I'm glad you brought it up because in my little author group that I'm in, this is like the number one topic that we discuss is that we're always going so fast and Mm -hmm. so hard and, and always trying to, you know, it that's kind of the nature of the business, especially this year, right? It's just crazy. And I and I'm glad you said that because I think people in our business don't do it enough. And Julie will remember I I had pneumonia earlier this year oh. and we were in the middle of a deadline. I had some stuff going on and I actually went to the the pulmonologist, freaked out and sent me immediately to the emergency room. And they took my blood pressure and they were like, Oh my God, you, you we gotta admit you. And I was like, Well, I, I'm on deadline. Yeah, I can't like, be admitted. Like, and they were care. like, "Well, you will." The, and they were like, "Well, you could die." And I was like, uh, "Okay." And they looked at me like, "Like, are you saying that our job isn't important?" Like, yeah. we feel like normally people react to us like with a lot more, you know, Meanwhile, urgency. And like, I was like, "Can yeah. I get my laptop?" <laughs> exactly. Can I please just? Go? Well, because you know, it's funny. I was wondering if you thought when there was there any part of you when you were told, can you not see the stars? Because if you can't see the stars and you can't distinguish between light and dark. And I'm thinking about all those metaphors. Was there any part of you that was like, oh, this is a story? Yeah, yeah, there was. There was a story originally. Funny enough, there was, you know, there was going to be um, my one YA book, The Problem with Forever, introduced a character who was recently diagnosed with RP. And I was going to write a book about hers. But, you know, it was kind of a situation where, you know, writing a book about losing your vision is not really that exciting. <laughs> you know, for me, like, it's not, it's sure. not really, you know, engrossing page turner. So there was a lot of pushing to 
kind of fictionalize the disease and I refused to do it. And, um, right. cause I was like, this is a real disease. This, you know, I, yeah, I'm not going to fictionalize it. And if losing your, if, if going blind isn't drama inducing enough for you, <laughs> then you're, then you're <laughs> fucking lucky because obviously you're not, you're yeah. not facing that. Um, but, um, but no, but in the, you know, in the literal sense, there was going to be a story, but also I felt like at that time it was too close to me. And I do feel like totally. as an author, you have to be able to separate yourself from your work. Um, oh, yeah. And But I was in the right headspace for Sturm and Fury, but mainly because that's not the point of the story. She's this badass, kick-ass, like, can lay anything out in the world I've created. And it's just like, side note, you know, she cannot see very well. And I, that's how I wanted to introduce it because I didn't want awesome. it to be the focal point of the story. I wanted yeah. to show that you can have something like this, but it doesn't, it's not the sum of who you are. It's not going to stop you from achieving your goals. And, um, and so that's, I had to get in the right headspace to write that. Um, and I think with the earlier versions, um, I, I wasn't in the right headspace um, to do and that. When and when and I mean, like, uh, yes, please. And when can I read it? June eleventh. It comes out on my birthday. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it does. So that's out June the eleventh. Tell me the title again. Um, Storm and Fury. Storm and Fury. Storm and, and then, Fury. And then in in a matter of weeks, we will be seeing you at a Polycon. Thank you again. Yes. Um, are can people still come to that, or is that moment past? General mission is signed, um, sold out, and the Titan passes are sold out. Um, but I do think the last time we checked, there was uh, a, a few Apollyon passes left, and the event takes place in Washington D.C. I believe um, I'm going to probably see, say the dates wrong, but it's I think it's March 24th. I think you are right. That time. That's when yeah. I'm coming. I mean, that's when I'm going to be there. So hopefully there'll be a, a thing. Somebody, to do. Hopefully there'll be an event there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you can still, we did add more tickets this year because we, last year we sold out so quick. Um, so we definitely wanted to offer more tickets, but at the same time, you know, keep it a reasonable crowd um, size because, you know, there, I think there's that fine line between too many and not enough <laughs> the attendees and you kind of have to walk <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's three people. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, please, uh, if, if you can find tickets to a polycon, come, we'll all be there Buy Jennifer's books. Um, and, uh, and I, we run out of time, but I'm not done. Can you come back and talk to us more? Oh, of course. I would love to. That would be awesome. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer. You. You're like seriously an inspiration oh, to thank me. You. Oh, Julie, you didn't ask your your closer. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you are an inspiration to me. And uh, you were a big, big part of my life back in 2012, 2013. And, and so it's great to be able to tell you that. Oh, thank you. And then the final question that we wanted to ask everybody is if you knew then what you know now, what would you do different? Oh God. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like, I feel like sometimes ignorance is a little bit of bliss because <laughs> you, you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, but also I think I would tell my, myself to stop and enjoy what I've accomplished more instead of you know, I think it's good to have goals and to have a goal after a goal, but you can't fall down that rabbit hole of always chasing the next best thing. And because I think what you find out, and I think a lot of authors do this to themselves, and maybe it's something you have to go through um, to get to the other end. But what you end up finding out is that you're you're never really satisfied. <laughs> you're never really happy. Yeah. And that can really get to you after a while and it can affect your writing, your enjoyment of it. So I think if, if I could go back in time and tell myself like, you know, enjoy, you know, what you've done and what you've accomplished, um, take time to celebrate that. And I think it's, you know, another weird thing about our industry. I think it, it's such a weird industry where we celebrate successes. However, at the same time, you know, you know, people shame people for celebrating their successes, right? Yes. And so it's yes. like this weird, like, 
I want to be happy that I hit the bestsellers list, but I don't want to be too happy because I don't want my peers to talk about me badly in, in their groups because they see everything as humble brag. And, and I think, you know, this goes a little bit off topic, but I do think we as a community need to be a little bit better about how we treat each other in it. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not easy to get these things and, we should be allowing people to celebrate that and be happy. Don't poop on their parade. Yeah, I agree. Jennifer I agree. L. Armentrout, uh, Julie Huss, and I celebrate you. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so, Thanks, so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and taking a listen to our conversation with Jennifer L. Armentrout today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you found it fun and entertaining and educational and inspirational. Uh, if you like what you heard and you would like to hear more of it, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on our website at lovenotespodcast.com. That's lovenotespodcast.com. Uh, you can subscribe uh, from there on your favorite platform, Uh, whatever your choosing is. Uh, And again, we release these conversations every two weeks. So two weeks from this Friday, uh, we will have a fresh conversation with uh, another author who we we are sure you will want to to hear us chatting with. So again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. That was it. That's all I got. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks again for listening. Love Notes is produced by Emily Durr, J.A. Huss, and Jonathan McLean, a.k.a. this guy. Executive producer is Oh My Audiobooks, an imprint of Podium Publishing. The editing is by Troy Odie. Our theme song and music is by Brandon Costello. And we would like to give a special thanks, as always, to everyone who supports us, who comes around and gives us questions, who reads the books that we write, who listens to the podcasts that we do. We would not be able to do any of this without you. So thank you all so very much. Uh, The art on our website was made by the great Julie Huss. Please check it out at lovenotespodcast.com. That is lovenotespodcast.com. Support for Love Notes comes from Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours.